Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles questions such as, what is the current trend? Should I put all my money in physical gold? What do I do about my student loans? As a dentist, who should be on my financial team? How should I buy real estate as a dentist? What should I think about in starting a dental practice? How do I get my money into a Roth IRA? What is the Tesla at 40 concept? What does don't be fancy mean? With the answers, here's Philip. All right, back for another episode. Hey, here's a here's a side note, y'all. If you live in the Mansfield, Grand Prairie area, and you want to know what's going on in our community, you got to check out About Mansfield podcast. Steve Casillo is the host, and follow him on Facebook, listen. But I get a lot of good information about what's going on here locally. Uh, I think it's the best source of local information. No, Steve didn't pay me to do this. I'm doing it because, like, I think it's a dope podcast, so absolutely check it out. This format's going to be different. 90% of the content is going to be for uh, dentists, because I work with quite a few dentists. Uh, But I'm also going to answer a couple of just general questions that came up this week. So we'll go into the two general questions, then to the dentist-specific content. If you know any dentist, and this might even be applicable to some physicians, forward them this podcast. I'm making it specifically for them. And my clients who are dentists who we were on the phone a lot this week uh, doing doing some specific financial planning around businesses and all that kind of stuff. So let's get into it. First question. What is the current trend? For those of you who listen to some podcasts before, you know that I'm, I like to check the economic trend, like what's the big picture trend going on in the market. And the trend currently is still recession. So that's the trend, right? And if you know the trend, just like the seasons, you can quote unquote dress appropriately. So Still recession season, and that's that. Next question. Should I put all of my money in physical gold? This was a question. I had a client email me. Basically, I don't even think they were asking me, does it make sense to do it? They were telling me that they're thinking about doing it, and they were going to let me know their decision later on in the week. Uh, and no, you know, those are kind of emails where I'm just like, hey, if you're not asking my opinion, do what you're going to do. That's just my philosophy on that. If I'm not asking my opinion, I'm not going to give it. So, but I'm sharing this for y'all just so you know. So here's what's happening. You have all these companies that sell physical gold, silver, all that, who are playing on the fact that we are, the strength of the dollar being the reserve currency is is being challenged significantly. And I don't doubt that. The reason why I don't think it's a good, a smart idea, a wise idea, or even a minutely good idea to put all of your money in physical gold First reason is just diversification, right? There's nothing guaranteed. This thing may play out longer than what you think, and there's no guarantee that gold is going to go up, right? Even if you have an economic reason behind what you're doing, things can play out longer than what you think, meaning the financial system may last another 10, 20, 30 years. Who who knows, right? Even though the risk is high, it doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. So that's so that. But then let's let's go and let's say the gold bugs, and I'm calling gold bugs the true believers, the ones that are basically selling it to make a profit for a commission too. That are telling folks that are crazy enough to, t- to tell somebody to put 100% of their IRA in gold, which I think is criminal. Side note: Think about this. So let's say you take a million dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, two million dollars, whatever the number is, and you put it all in gold. First of all, like, where are you going to put the gold? Are you going to put it in your house in the safe? That's an expensive safe, and it's probably not wise. So you're going to have to store it somewhere. And so let's play this out. So they, you do it, and they say, all right, look, we're going to hold the storage for you. 
let's say the world does melt for a scenario, right? You got to understand the scenario. The scenario of putting all your money in gold means the whole system breaks down and there's chaos. Do you really believe these people are going to give you your gold when there's chaos? They hold your gold. There's chaos. There's no, there's no rule of law. There's no cops. Like They're going to be like, no, this is my gold. And you better have enough guns to fight uh, their army, which you're probably going to lose because you don't have a bigger army than them. So it sounds good in theory, but in reality, if you do hit chaos and somebody else is holding your goal, good luck trying to get it. You're not going to get it. Like think, think about whenever the U.S. stopped, basically, to give you a history lesson. Other countries used to store their gold in the, uh, what was it called, Fort Knox or something like that in the U.S. And one day the U.S. just said, hey, uh, we're losing a lot of gold. We no longer want to let you trade in dollars for gold, so you can't have your gold. We're going to keep it here. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Fight me? No, we're not giving you your gold back. So, no, we're just not doing it, right? And so they're going to give you your gold on goodwill. Oh, I paid for it. Okay, you got to be able to enforce it, but we're in chaos. So not only is it you're not being wise from a diversification standpoint, if the worst case thing plays out, like you lost your money, period. You don't have it. What's more realistic, and this is even at all times, not even just now. Like if you say, hey, I buy insurance on my home, I buy insurance on my car, I buy insurance on my life. If you say, hey, I just want to keep 5 10% of my money in physical gold that, that I can have, and maybe you spread out, maybe you have some at it, maybe you buy, keep some at the dealer, maybe you keep some at the bank, you keep some at home. And, and here's the cool part, because I've literally played this out in my mind. I was like, in chaos, What's the most valuable thing in chaos? Relationships. People who you can genuinely trust. And so my deal is go find 10 people who you really trust. And you say, listen, guys, let's, if anything goes down, like you're my tribe, I'm your tribe. Let's go put some money in for physical gold. Let's store it at each other's houses, right? So you got a diversified place in case somebody gets robbed or somebody steps out. But you all have money dispersed for physical gold. It's, it's the communities, right? It's, it's everybody's gold. So that way, if chaos does happen, you got your tribe and y'all are together, right? You got you got the guns together. You know what I'm saying? You got some gold. Maybe you grow some some food together. But you got a tribe because if 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 you do hit chaos, which I don't think we're gonna hit chaos, y'all. First of all, I don't like that's that's not a real that's not even a in the possibility of things that that could happen. I don't think there's a one it's a higher than a one percent chance in my opinion. Just just my opinion. Just one man's opinion. There's no data behind it other than like hundreds and hundreds of years of history. But but the point is, if it does happen, that's a smarter way. I would maybe think about having 5 or 10% of your money in that uh, when you do that and just spread it out among those places and, and, and call it a day. Call it an insurance policy against the world melting. And then move on with life because you've done what you can do. But getting emotionally scared and putting all your money in gold because these gold bug salespeople tell you to doom and gloom is just not wise at all in no way, not even remotely. Next question. What do I do about my student loans? For those of you who, who don't know, there are a few dentists who are blessed to have their parents pay for dental school. A very few, a small percentage. The majority of them come out with dollars $300,000 in student loans. I met one that had $400,000 in student loans from some school in New York. It's crazy. And, and sure, they make a decent salary, but these loans are a big chunk of their income along with malpractice insurance and all that kind of stuff that they that they that they got to have to uh to practice and so one of the things that i talked to new dentists about is saying hey listen i I know you're a dentist 
I know you've been in school for a while. It's this thing called pent-up consumerism. That when, I, when I'm talking to a dentist or a physician, I'm like, listen, we got a name for it. It's called pent-up consumerism. You've seen all of your kids uh, or friends graduate, buy nice cars, buy houses, you know, buy a bunch of you know stuff, and you didn't get to do it because you were a broke dental student. Now you're coming out making 150, 200, 300 thousand a year, and you're like, I want to get my stuff. And I'm like, listen, listen. I want you to get your stuff too, but if you got this big debt hanging over your head, I would really think about living super humbly, well below your means, and in no situation where I've sat with a dentist who was early on, who didn't accumulate this stuff first, could they not get rid of that stuff in you know somewhere between two to 10 years, depending on where they were, and be completely debt-free? And so my deal is do that, because if you don't, here's what happens. Around year five, you know, you go accumulate stuff, maybe even buy a big house too in a, in a big neighborhood, and you get that mortgage locked in. So then you have the car note, the big home note, and then you want to go buy a business. And that's another half a million to $800,000 of, of money you got to borrow. And then you got everything that goes on with, with building a business. And so you got all this debt, uh, you're stressed out, it's a super stressful period of time, and the economy goes bad, or it doesn't, right? Or the economy doesn't go bad, but you just got a bunch of debt and you need everything to go perfectly for your life to be good. I would prefer to say, listen, you know you're probably going to want to own a business at some point. So let's knock out this debt, get your cash flow up, build your savings, don't buy the big car, don't buy the, the big house, and and maybe even think about like just renting until you get the student loan payments down a lot. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain why in one of the other questions. But just keep costs super low. Live well below your means and get that debt reduced before you start thinking about increasing the amount of money you borrow. Because the banks will give it to you. You're a dentist. Like, they're going to give you the most. They're going to load up the truck. And so be, be wise. Be wise about that. Next question, please. As a dentist, who should be on my financial team? Every dentist needs to have a good CPA a good wealth manager, right? And a wealth manager is not somebody who sells financial products. It's somebody like like us at Stonehill Wealth Management. We charge a fee for investment and financial advice. It's objective, um, not tied to a product, but a CPA, a wealth manager, an attorney. Uh, if you're if you're in business, um, that's essential. A good attorney, uh, a good insurance agent, um, whether it be for property and casualty or or life and disability, and a good banker. Uh, if you're going into business, right? That's that's your core team, and you want to cultivate and build those relationships early. And you want to find ones that was more important than the firms that quote unquote specialize working in dentists, which is kind of a, a a marketing term. There's a lot of people who have a big book of dentists who are clients but work with other business owners too. But the firms that work specifically with dentists, I, and I don't want to call them out, but you know exactly you're, you're thinking of the firms right now. When when I've seen what they've done, they're they're just overcharging dentists for saying that we only work with dentists. The their stuff is not that great, uh, and they charge a whole lot. And I'm I'm just not impressed. For somebody who's worked with dentists for ten years, I'm just not impressed. They overcharge, you know, because they have a great sales pitch by saying we only work with dentists. So find somebody you trust that has the knowledge of of, of working with dentists, but that's trustworthy, that's knowledgeable. Um, that you feel has your best interest in mind, that doesn't talk over your head, uh, that's interested in you and not and not your money or income potential. And that's important. But that's your core team. Next question. How should I buy real estate as a dentist? This is important. Going back to what I was saying before. So getting money as a dentist is not going to be hard from the banks. 
And so the dentists that I've met that are in a position to work because they want to, not because they have to early, they were smart about how they borrow money. Meaning, even though you're a dentist, there's a limited amount of money that you're going to get as a dentist. There's so much you're going to get for your practice. There's so much you're going to get for real estate properties. And so my thought would be, for specifically for a dentist who knows they're going to own their own practice, my thought is, like I said, pay your debt, pay your other debts down, college loans down. And when you get ready to buy a practice, look for something that includes you being able to buy the real estate that your practice is on, which may mean foregoing borrowing money for a primary residence. So it may mean you actually rent so you can borrow more money. But think about it. If, you, if you're building a practice and that's going to throw off a lot of cash flow, and then you could... I know one dentist specifically where he he built this commercial building. He had a space for him, space for somebody else. His practice can cover the note for everything, but he ended up finding some um, some tenants for the other space, and then they paid the note and the money that uh, the money that he would have normally paid for the note for the practice. He was able to uh, invest for his future and do other things, right? And so, imagine you do that, and then you take the money that you don't have to pay for rent, and then you go invest in more real estate or invest in stocks or invest in uh, other businesses. But it's being smart because you can get the money, but there's a limited amount of money you can get. So meaning you can go borrow $400,000, you know, for your home, right? Or you can just go rent a neighborhood where you want your kids to go to school and use the 400000 as part of the money that you're going to use to buy the building your practice is on. And so it's specifically... I. I don't know what the term is, I call it burnout, but around 55, 50, 60, I start seeing dentists get burned out and they're like, listen, like I love what I do, I just don't want to have to go in 50 hours a week. I can go in two, I can go two days a week for the rest of my life, but I don't want to have to, but a lot of them do at that age because they didn't save enough, but the ones that have, they own the practice, they own the land, everything's paid off, they have quite a bit of money in their 401k and other investments. Uh, maybe even they, they have some rental real estate properties, but they were smart at how they accumulated wealth. And um, I think that's a unique opportunity for, for dentists when they're thinking through their wealth building plan. And it's one that I've seen play out well for other dentists and it's ones that I help dentists uh, plan for in their financial plan. Next question. What should I think about in starting a dental practice? Here's step one. Step one is I, I would go find a successful dentist or two and talk to them. Just say, hey, what are some things that you learn? What are the mistakes that you made when buying your practice? And then second thing I would do, I would say, okay, as you're thinking through what you're going to do, start small. Again, being a dentist is a gift and a curse. The companies are going to throw money at They're going to let you borrow a lot of money, but you don't have to. Like, you don't have to get a huge space. You don't have to buy the latest gadgets or equipment. Find the minimum amount of stuff that you need to get a practice going and profitable and start with that, right? Only get enough money for that and make that practice profitable first and then expand, right? So when, when I've seen dentists that have been struggling, they go buy the latest and greatest everything, get a real huge space, and they're not being conservative in their planning. Like I would really think about being conservative and think about, all right, how do I maximize the cash flow on this space before I think about doing something else? I would also, step three, think about buying the, the land that your business is on and having other uh, tenants in there being smart about that. And I would also think through, do I like business, right? Am I am I a business person or am I a really good practitioner? And be honest, if you're not a good business person, you may want to think about hiring somebody or partnering with somebody who's good in business. 
and it will be a lot of you know a lot of stress. There's a difference between being a business owner and being a good practitioner. And humility is somebody who knows that they're not good a business owner, and but they're a good practitioner. Because if you're not a good business owner, then you might as well just keep working for somebody. Which some people like people. Some people are like, well, I don't want to do because I want to call the shots. Well, find a partner who's good at business. Maybe they're probably maybe they're not a dentist, or maybe they are a dentist, and do it with that partner. There's the big dental chains that you all hear about that advertise on the radio. Behind them, they have a good business partner, right? They may be the face as the dentist, but behind them is a great business team, and I'm sure all of you know that, and you know exactly the ones that I'm talking about. So be thoughtful about that, and again, hire a good team. The team I mentioned in the previous answer, a good CPA, wealth manager, attorney, insurance agent, banker. Build a good team. Stay with your team as long as they take care of you and, and, and you trust them, and that's the business thoughts. Next question. Philip, I think I make too much money. How do I get money into a Roth IRA? That's a good question. A couple ways you get money into a Roth IRA. If you're a 1099 employee or you own the business, you can set up a solo 401k or a regular 401k and you're able to put away quite a bit of money. You know, just Google IRS limits for 401ks for 2020 and it'll show you the limits. Uh, on multiple sites, but I would probably just go to the IRS site. So you can so whenever you listen to this podcast, you have updated numbers. A solo 401k or a 401k, you could put away quite a bit of money and you have an option to do a Roth option. So most people don't realize a traditional 401k, you put in pre-tax money, meaning money that if you make a hundred grand and you put in 10 grand, you only pay taxes on 90 grand of your income in that example. That's a traditional um, 401k and your money grows tax deferred, which means you don't pay tax on the growth. But when you take it out, you pay 100% ordinary income tax on it later. A Roth 401k works like a Roth IRA. So you put money in, you don't get a tax break. So if you make 100, you put in 10, you're still going to pay uh, tax on 100 grand of income. But you get to defer the money you make in there. And when you take it out, you pull it out tax free. And so you can do a Roth option inside of your 401k and be able to put away all the money in those limits inside the Roth option, which is more than a Roth IRA. So that's one option. And then a Roth conversion is option two, and it's technical and complex. And so I won't go into detail, but just know that if you have money in a traditional IRA uh, or a traditional 401k, um, but let's just stick with traditional IRA to keep it simple. If you have money in traditional IRA, no matter what your income is, you can do a Roth conversion and convert that money to a Roth IRA. Uh, you could do it all at once or over time. But those are a couple of simple ways to get money uh, into a Roth IRA if you make too much to fund a Roth IRA, which most dentists do. Next question. This actually isn't a question, but I just want to call it the Tesla at 40 concept. And it kind of plays into what I was talking about before. So Tesla at 40 concept. I use Tesla because I like Tesla. So for me, it used to be, uh, it was started off as a BMW at 40 and then an Audi at 40, and now it's a Tesla at 40. And here's what I mean. You know, when I got into business, I obviously knew that at some point if I was successful, we'd make a, a lot of money. And so I said, hey, I want to set a rule that will force me to continue to reinvest in, in the business to, to reach my goals. And so I said, look, even if I'm making a million dollars a year, two million dollars a year, I'm not going to buy my Tesla until I'm 40, right? Because that, that basically will force me to live below below our means and reinvest the money back into investments, business growth, real estate. So then by 40, which I figured that would get that, that gave me something like almost 20 years in 
in business, right? For y'all who are like 20 years, I thought Stonehill Wealth Management's, you know, not that old. Well, but before I was a 100% commission to 99 person, which basically was like your own business since I was like 21. So th- that's the th- thought process. But let's get back to the topic at hand. But my thought was, hey, it'll force me to live below my means and, until I'm 40 and then go buy the car that I want. And that's, and that's a philosophy that's important for dentists because, again, you're going to be able to buy a lot with your income, with the amount of money the banks will give you. And so just – and it don't have to be at 40, but I like 40 because it's a good number. But the concept is live below your means until you have a lot of money in assets and you don't have any debt and your assets are paying you a lot of money. Like Rich Dad said, uh, his version of it was, you know, don't buy the nice stuff until your assets can pay for it uh, multiple times over. Um, I think Jay-Z said something like, I don't buy anything unless I can buy two of them. And I was like, that's another good way to say it too. And so the point is, live below your means. Last question. Philip, what does don't be fancy mean? Don't be fancy. So what does don't be fancy mean? And y'all y'all are going to say, Philip, you keep saying the same thing over and over again. Well, because it's important. These are the mistakes that I see unsuccessful dentists make that end up at 60 with no money and... It's the exact opposite of what successful dentists do that end up with quite a bit of money well before normal retirement age. So don't be fancy. So here's what happened when you're a dentist, a physician, or anybody with money. People call you up and say, hey, can you give me money to invest in this restaurant? Or I got this business idea I want you to invest in. Or I got nowadays it's I have this new tech company that I'd like you to invest in. Because when you have money, there's there's no shortage of opportunities for you to invest your money. And so don't be fancy means don't succumb to ego. Dentists have a really high IQ. You're smart. So are physicians. Just anybody who got a doctoral degree is, is, is really smart. But having a very specialized knowledge doesn't make you smart at everything. As a matter of fact, what I found in life, at least for me, the more I know about my craft, the less I know about everything else. I become dumber to everything else. And so I have the humility to understand where I'm not smart. And where I'm really smart and I want to stay in my box. And so don't mean don't be fancy means, and I'll tell you in a story, I I had a um, maybe it was like back in 2013, 14, when the when everybody was opening up these ER firms and, and healthcare was blowing up. And it was a guy that I knew that had quite a bit of money, but he was an insurance agent. He owned some insurance agencies and, and he was telling me about this doctor's medical group and they were building all these facilities and they they understood how to code things right and um, if you gave them 100 they would double it every single year because they understood the game and it was such a good bet and I say well listen I don't mean this disrespectfully to you at all but if it's such a good system why are they coming to you with only a hundred thousand dollars like why why aren't they going to family offices or IRAs or RIAs like mine or just rich people and saying, hey, we need to raise money. We got this proven system. I say, you know why they're coming to you? Because we can see, <laughs> I see through the BS. Like you don't, like your ego's in the way because you feel special, you know, because they're coming to you with this quote unquote guaranteed return. And I wouldn't do it. And I think he might've got offended and he did it and he lost his money because not even eight, 12 months later, the healthcare blew up and a lot of folks lost their money. So, I, you know, what ends up happening is you have these folks that get in early and they need to get out, so they go find what's called some suckers. They say, hey, listen, we need to get our million out. Let's go find 10 suckers to put in 100000 so we can get our money out. And so they go after the suckers. Um, and the suckers don't, like, I'm always like, hey, if you don't know who the sucker is, then you're the sucker. 
uh, in investing. And so there's a lot of people that go to dentists to be the suckers because they're smart. You know, they're like, hey, I built the million dollar, multi million dollar practice in dentistry. You know, I'm I'm good. I'm wise. I can do that again in other in other industries. And it's hard to get fancy when I'm like, hey, if you just like block and tackle, if you just own the property uh, that you have your business in, and, and and again, you start a business, and then you go buy some rental houses, right? Or and or you find other dentists who want to open up their practice, and you partner with them to get the land for their business because you understand that business, or and you put your money in tried and true, well diversified, you know, boring long term stock bond and commodity portfolios, right? You you do the blocking and tackling right. And then you say, hey, if I want to, you know, I'm making $300,000 a year uh, and I want to, you know, grow my in- investments, how do I make another hundred so I can just invest it, right? Can I work more? Working 10, 20 more hours a week is I mean, just about a guaranteed fifty hundred thousand dollars a year that you can then invest. And then you play that, play that out over a 10, 15, 20 year period of time and what that grows to, even in a boring diversified portfolio. And so... And people say, well, I don't have another 10 to 20 hours a week to work. I'm like, listen, if you're getting these other investments, you better have a 10, 20 hours a week to work because if you're just investing blindly without doing the work, you're definitely going to get screwed. And so I'm like, if you put in all this energy and effort to your craft, then why not let the compound interest or the compounding of that craft help you make more money and then take that and passively invest it in something that's tried and true and born, like diversified stock portfolios or rental property or, again, owning real estate on the land where you do business. You, you might say, well, look, what if I own real estate on this new restaurant thing or whatever? I'm like, listen, I know you think you understand restaurants, but are they going to pay? Like, you know dentistry. You know that if you do it for your practice that you can cover the note even if your tenant doesn't. Like, that's a super low-risk deal. You know that if you find a young dentist who can get the money, and they're a good dentist, and you can help them, and you can mentor them, and you help them get the land, um, that they can do the same thing. And and how many times can you do that? A lot. Like you can do that unlimited times, all over the U.S. And so, what most people don't realize is the people that I've met that are super wealthy, and because it's not hard to make money, it's really hard to make it and keep it. So the ones that make it and keep it are a lot of them are one trick ponies. You know, they just turn the same trick over and over and over again without getting fancy. They stay in their little box, and you could become stupidly wealthy staying in your box. As a matter of fact, I believe in, in in my experience of what I've seen, the people that aren't wealthy are the ones that get the ego and try to do too much. They try and do four things well instead of just the one thing that they've been given God's grace to, to do well. Their ego doesn't get in the way. And so that's what don't be fancy means. I'm going to end with this. I was going to come up with some, something clever, but I don't have anything clever to say, y'all. I just finished a two-hour workout I'm in my lots of free time since COVID-19 started, I, I like I get depressed if I don't learn new skills. And so I'm, you know, always learning investments. I didn't want to binge watch a bunch of stuff. So I was like, listen, I've always been to martial arts, but I've never done Muay Thai. And I got a friend who does Muay Thai and start offering virtual training. So me and my nine-year-old been doing that and it's been consuming a lot of my time. And we had a two-hour workout before this podcast this morning. And it killed my energy. And so it, it killed my clever thought that I thought that I had until I got ready to say it. And it it vanished. So what I just said before, that great information about planning, investing, thinking about money. That's all we got this week, y'all. 
Enjoy your day. Stay safe and healthy. And we'll talk next week. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.